Hi, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this is Should Have Listened to My Mother. I enjoy any opportunity to interview a guest who loves to give back to their community. It comes very easily for some, and I applaud those who can help others in any big or small way. My guest is Paul Barron. He is a mentor to business owners and to student interns at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and at the university's Center for Innovation Entrepreneurship. He's an avid tennis player since high school, and including his turn at SUNY New Paltz, New York, where he studied math. Paul loves high-energy environments, loves the adventure of discovery, and embraces cultural environments with people who like to dream big and work hard. Paul wrote me recently and said, Susie gave me life, and her own life was an example of the value of education, family, respect for yourself and others, and the virtues of diversity and tolerance, all while considering giving me up for adoption on a daily basis. <laughs> he also apparently has a very good sense of humor. <laughs> Paul Barron is founder and CEO of The Wall Printer, and he's here to tell us more about his mother, Susie, and his path because of his mother. Hi, Paul. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Jackie. A pleasure being here with you and your audience. I'm happy to have a conversation always about Susie and always about my journey and where it's taken me. So I, I'm curious, not many people refer to their mom as Susie, right? I, I, my mom asked us when I was in middle school or something to call her Linda. When did you start calling her Susie? Probably when I was able to talk. Um, I uh, always called my parents by their first names, um, whether that was by invitation or circumstance, or the fact that one of the first things I overheard other people calling them by was their first names. Um, so I can't say really how it started, but I know that they never objected to it. Uh, of course, there were a lot of moms and dads thrown in there during the course of my childhood and right through adulthood. But for the most part, I'd say 95% of the time, they were referred to by Susie and Sydney. And she has, uh, she went on in years and became uh, somewhat of a senior performer, and she always liked music. Um, of course, her favorite song was If You Knew Susie Like I Knew Susie. Um, <laughs> that was uh, that was what she was able to uh, recite and, and perform on a regular basis. Oh, I bet. <laughs> her entrance had to be big. <laughs> her entrance, exit, and performance was always something to, be, <laughs> something to behold. So where, give us a little bit of background where you grew up and uh, what the vibe was in the house and that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So um, I definitely did not have what anybody would refer to as a deprived childhood. Um, maybe some elements were depraved, but not deprived. Um, I uh, grew up in Long Beach, Long Island, which was a beachfront community. Pretty much everybody in the community, when they came of working age or playing age, did something with the water. Swimming, I was able to swim before I could walk, so I'm told. And it's something that I still do today, 70 years later. Um, I swim pretty much three to four times a week. You mentioned I was a tennis player. That's a sport that I picked up in high school. But swimming was my first love and still is. And it was uh, just a, a wonderful childhood. I don't know what it is, but there's something about growing up on the water. Because not only do I know the area you're referring to, my mom grew up in the Long Beach area. And then as we, as, as children, my mom would take us every day to the beach. Well, maybe not every day, but she would have the seven kids at the beach by herself. So it was quite the undertaking. And, you know, 
we just always had the water part of our life. And I, every day I am thankful for that experience. So tell us more uh, about your upbringing. Uh, we were middle class financially. Um, we never had anything of excess, but at the same time, um, I never lacked for anything. Uh, my parents were always provided for me and my sister um, and each other. And we, uh, you know, took a regular vacation every summer. My father was an avid horseback rider. My mother was an avid um, companion to my father. Um, they both worked um, their entire lives, uh, generally for the same business, same company, um, for pretty much all of the all of my life and my sister's life. What line of work was that? Well, my mother started out very early as an administrative assistant, kind of a gal Friday for uh, the owner of PurePak. PurePak, for your audience that doesn't know, they were the patent holders of aspirin. Um, it was one of the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world at the time, based in New York. And she was the CEO and founder's um, administrative assistant. And, uh, and she traveled the world with him. Um, as that business grew, she was one of the first people to actually understand how to use IBM technology for uh, record keeping and had a lot to do with the adoption of technology at a time when I'm talking 1930s and 40s, well before any of us have, were exposed to computers. Certainly me, born in 51, didn't know anything about it while my mother was working working IBM products for this company. And then when she got married to my father, Sydney, that was just after World War II, uh, Wait, this is a really, really neat story. So please explain a little bit more. Actually, our given name was Goldman, was my father's name. Uh, but the interesting story was he proposed to Susie um, before he uh, got his drafting papers to World War II. And uh, Susie refused to marry him because of our Jewish last name. And she said, you're going to and she and he got his orders that he was going to Germany. And she said, I'm not going to worry about you being captured and killed and uh, with a Jewish last name. And he said, Susie, listen, I love you. I don't care about the name. He opened up the New York phone book, closed his eyes, put his finger on a piece of paper in the, one of the pages in the phone book, and it came up on Baron. And that's how we have our name. He went to the courthouse the next day, changed his name, and they were married. She agreed to marry him. They were engaged before he left. And they were engaged and married before he left. And then when he got back after the war, my sister was born in 1946. I came along shortly after. But that's when they moved to Long Island uh, when my sister was born. And that's where my mother worked for a company for pretty much 25, 30 years after that until they retired. My father worked in Manhattan in the printing world. Which is what you're doing now. To some extent, which is which is interesting. And I'm sure he would, I don't know that he'd look on that favorably or not. They, they rarely looked at anything I did favorably. Honestly? Well, I'm, I'm semi-facetiously. They had their lives, and God bless them and anybody else who can work for a company for 10, 20, 30 years. I fully respect that. Um, I respect the dedication, and even more so now that I'm in the business world, I respect the companies that can actually nurture and allow people to grow within their companies for such a long period of time. Of course, over the years, Things have changed in terms of security, benefits, and such. And that's been a reason why a lot of people don't stay with companies for a very long time, because the security is not there like it used to be there. And that's pretty much, I guess, it kind of circles us back to the title of your your show, which captivated my interest in, in you know, should I have listened to my mother? 
my parents really had a very set path for me early on. They wanted me to follow in that security. You know, you just work for a company, you work for the government, you work for civil service, you teach something like that, uh, which was my first job out of college was teaching high school mathematics. And but I very rarely lasted more than two and three years of doing something. Ah, hence the frustration with your path. <laughs> yeah, and and that started very early on when when I would uh, my parents encouraged me to take on music and sports, and I would go into the band and I would play the clarinet, and I got bored with that, and then I would try this other instrument and that other instrument, and I never really stuck with anything. Education-wise, I never really stuck with anything. I got thrown out of multiple language classes. Um, I got to <laughs> tossed out of the Boy Scouts because I couldn't stand that regimen, um, and uh, which which led really to the the first big um, moment of their consternation with me, um, which was that um, I graduated high school and I was endorsed by and recommended by Robert Kennedy to attend Annapolis. I always thought that I wanted to go into the Navy. I really pissed him off, pardon the expression, because it turned out that, well, senators only get two recommendations a year right. um, to recommend people to the U.S. military academies uh, and uh, all the armed forces. They get two recommendations. And he basically wasted one on me because it turned out neither one of us realized it, that I graduated high school too young. I graduated high school when I was 16 years old, and you have to be 17 to enter into the military colleges. So they rejected my application right at the beginning because I was too young. So as a result of that, he was upset because he wasted a recommendation. I, on the other hand, went a different route. I went to the um, New York State Merchant Marine Academy, uh, which was a private institution. Well, it was part of the state university system of education. But it was not a military organization, even though when you graduated, you did become a lieutenant in the a merchant marine. Mm -hmm. Which is honorable and respectable career. Which right? was honorable, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a very lengthy program, and it did everything really that the Merchant Marine or Naval Academy would do, except it wasn't affiliated with the government. It was affiliated with private industry. Okay. And so that was kind of my first entrance into the business side of things as opposed to the government side or civil service side of things. But then again, while that pleased my parents as a second choice, um, that I was going to be in that type of environment, which guaranteed you a job basically in the Merchant Marine when you came back out of that and in, in a commission in the service, um, all of that was the, the positive check boxes for my parents. Uh, the, the Merchant Marine Academy that I uh, attended uh, was an all-male school. Um, I had a swim meet um, at the State University of New Paltz and went there and I saw a co-ed college environment. And uh, one of the teammates from the opposing team after our match took me for a tour of the campus and the dormitories, which were co-ed dormitories. And I said, boy, this is heaven. This is great. <laughs> um, I quickly put in my papers to transfer to New Paltz um, and, and then sprung that on my parents. And they were, they were um, less than pleased right. um, that I made that kind of a decision uh, to do that. But, um, then I said, but I'm enrolled in the mathematics and education department. And so when I graduate here, I'm going to be a teacher. Fantastic. And so a teacher of mathematics, which is really what I always wanted to do anyway. Math was my main subject. Phew. So you make it through college and Susie's happy with you. What happens next? What direction do you go in next to, for yourself, not to make your mom happy? So I make it, make it through college. I become a teacher. And during my first year of teaching, I will parallel this kind of part of our conversation with the fact that I did supplement my parents' good graces of their financial support during my college 
days or years with earning some money at the college's athletic department, stringing tennis rackets for the university. And I was also captain of the tennis team. And so that is, was something that I developed a very good following that people really liked the work that I did stringing their tennis rackets. I also um, decided to open up a tennis store. Anyway, fast forward, that store became very successful. It grew from one to two to three stores over a period of three years that I began my teaching career. And by the time I was in my third year of teaching, which was the tenure year, and they said they really liked me teaching, and I love teaching. This might have very well have pleased Susie no end um, <laughs> that I would have stayed. I would have been at the time we're talking today, right. um, 50 years later. I might be a retired school teacher now. I love the kids, love teaching love mathematics, uh, but I didn't like any of the administrative work. I didn't like the parent-teacher conferences. I didn't like any of the other things that were required of teachers uh, besides just teaching. And so I had to make a choice. They said either you will give you tenure if you give up your tennis shops, or you have to make a decision to give up teaching and, you know, good luck with your business life. And I chose to give up teaching. And uh, made and I went Susie on. very unhappy. Um, <clears throat> I, the, the tennis shops were successful, so I won't say that they were unhappy. I won't say that they were surprised because they've seen a lot of pivots with me over the years. But yes, there was disappointment because this they knew from their experience that the stability of working a job like teaching provided, you know, the regular vacations, the regular income, and tenure certainly gave me the security that I would have enjoyed for years and years to come. Right. So disappointment and their concern for you, right? Parents generally worry. Yeah, let's say it was more concern for me than disappointment. How would your mom express to you her concern or disappointment? Would she say Come on, Paul, we got to talk. Or would she, your father do that? Or how did your mom handle all this kind of stuff? Well, one of, one of the blessings that I consider my childhood and adulthood was we were always very open with one another. Susie, as you mentioned from my description of her, she was very open, very easy to communicate with. She had a great personality. She had a lot of friends, as did my dad. And both both her and Sydney gave me and my sister an environment of, of not only their financial and emotional support, but it was also very open. Our home was the place that kids went to. Uh, when we got together on a Friday or a Saturday night, they would come to our house. Um, they would play games around our yard. And I'm not talking about us having some, this was just a very small, by any standards, home that gave us what we needed and it was a nice three bedroom two bath home but it, it was everything we wanted but it was the personality um that came down from my parents to us that made people want to be around us uh, my parents were very open about everything um they exposed us to a lot of things not just the music and the and the, and the sports uh, but but also just people and just the ability to to embrace relationships uh the relationships i formed from my childhood as a result of what they gave me, what Susie and Sydney gave to me and my sister, are relationships that I carry through to today. Uh, people that I've known since grade school, kindergarten, I still talk to on a regular, one person, even a daily basis um, that we still communicate with some 70 years later. Isn't that um, the best? And I know that because it came up in our email correspondence, one of your dear, close, lifelong friends said, you have to respond to this request to be a guest on this podcast because he was one of your dearest friends from growing up yeah, and he knew and, and he and referred to her as Susie. 
<laughs> yeah, and Rick, and, and, and Rick, Richie works works for me today. Um, although I don't consider it working for me, he's been a he's been a friend first and foremost, um, a confident, a family member, if you will, for some 60, 70 years. Sure. Were you a latchkey kid? Because your mom was working. Were you guys coming home from school and you'd let yourselves in and out the door and and you're kind of on your own till your mom came home from work or was she not working? Oh, yeah. Usually usually while she was away. And then even when they got home, we would disappear somewhere. Well, yeah, as kids, we were pretty lucky. We would we were always gone. That was a different time. Um, Parents weren't so concerned or uh, they certainly weren't the helicopter parents that you hear about today. Um, And there was, you know, and of course, there was no cell phones, no way for them to get in touch with us. But it didn't matter back then. Um, And uh, and yeah, it was a it was just just a, a, just a wonderful way to grow up, a what place to grow up. Uh, we had boats, we had bicycles, but my, my parents were, you know, the first time I smoked pot, um, a friend of mine, you know, when I was in college and said he was going to, you know, he invited me to, uh, to smoke pot because his older brother um, gave him a joint. And, uh, and I forget, I, I might have been 18 or 19 at the time or something, uh, which might have been past the days that a lot of people already were experimenting with that. But my, my Sydney and Susie, they said, Paul, if you're going to smoke pot, you're going to do it here. You know, have have your buddy come over to the house and, you know, smoke here so we can keep an eye on you. And uh, and but it was no, it was no like. You know what the hell are you thinking? You know what right. are you doing? Because he they they knew that you know as kids you're probably going to do it anyway, whether they say do it or don't do it. But they were all always supportive. I'm not to say that they encouraged drinking or drugs or anything like that. That was couldn't be further from the truth. But they wanted to keep an eye on you. They wanted to keep an eye on me, and more important, they created an environment that I wanted them to keep an eye on us. That's very progressive for way back then. Yeah, and my friends as well. I mean, we had. You know, even though I grew up with a, in a Jewish community and, and with a Jewish heritage, um, the mixture of people that came and got wind from my house um, from all races and religious backgrounds and, and political backgrounds and everything else. It was, it was just a, it, it, literally, as they say New York is, it was a melting pot of people in Long Beach. Did your mom cook? Yeah, we had regular dinners. We, we, we always ate together every night. Um, she cooked. I won't say cooked great, uh, but she cooked. <laughs> there was food on the table. All right, <laughs> there Susie. There was food on the table. You know, we went, we, 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 like I said, we weren't wealthy, but we went out for dinner usually once every two weeks or so. And we had our one or two week family vacation every summer where we went to a dude ranch uh, to go horseback riding and water skiing for a couple of weeks every summer. Um, but generally, it was a, it was just a, a nice, wholesome environment, you know, just like you, you hear about. You know, we sat around, we watched TV together, um, we uh, we played cards and did games together. We went to other families' and relatives' houses for holidays together. It's what we wish absolutely more people could have today. I was very blessed with my background and my experience, and it was all about family. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, you know, I, I have not been blessed. My wife, Maureen, and I have not been blessed with children of our own. Our children are four-legged. We have, we have dogs. But at the same time, uh, as much as I love them, um, they don't ask for the car keys and there's no college fund. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate and respect people who have their families that are growing and putting them through college and, and the trials and tribulations that their kids 
are going to go through and that the parents are going to go through with them. There's a lot going on out there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, and it's a different time and a lot more challenges and a lot more things to deal with. So, uh, you know, I'm very appreciative of not only the what, how I grew up and the environment that Susie and Sydney gave to me and my sister, but also the time frame that it was. I like to think that, that there's still a lot of that. And even though this podcast centers on moms, I like how you always say Susie and Sydney because it's important and helpful, obviously, to have a partner in this particular case. It's your dad. So mom has the opportunity to be who she is and, and be a mom. But um, it's a tag team, and I was very fortunate. Yeah, there's, there is no doubt that there was a bit of a dichotomy, though. I was definitely my mother's son, and my sister was my father's daughter. Um, <laughs> there was a, She could do no wrong in his eyes, um, and very little right in my mother's eyes. I could definitely do no wrong in my mother's eyes. Right. So despite all the thanks that I may have given them over the years, um, and, and I, I, I jokingly said, giving me up for debt adoption on a daily basis, there was actually <laughs> a point in my childhood where my mother uh, was going to make a choice to give me away, um, not not uh, um, lose all biological ties to me, um, but uh, or familial ties to me, but just for instruction. And so she was going to send me away to a military school, or to, a, <laughs> to a boarding school to kind of get oh my, my act together. Um, but that never that never happened. Many parents wish that they could do that with their child or children, right? <laughs> This was this was pretty close to happening, but it never, <laughs> but it never did. It well, never you did. seem to have turned out okay. I like to think so. This business that you have is pretty great, so I want to spend a couple minutes talking about this vertical printing system, the wall printer that you have. You're in Wilmington, North Carolina. Tell us. Speaking to again what my what Susie and Sydney gave me in terms of the tolerance to kind of do what I wanted to do and be there to support me, if sometimes financially, most of the time just emotionally. Uh, but I've been through a lot of businesses. But the last three or four decades, um, literally about I guess 30, 35 years, um, let's suffice to say that a couple of years ago I retired once again. But I was sitting at home, as I often am, surfing the net, looking at things, and I found this vertical printing machine. It was like an ink, an inkjet printer on steroids that would print digital art onto any wall surface, indoors or outdoors, any height, any width. And I just found it fascinating. And I had never seen or heard anything like it before. And invariably, I called to Maureen, my wife, who's in another room in the house, and I beckoned her to come to the office. Uh, hey, honey, come take a look at this. Well, invariably, rather than come and take a look at this, she cuts up my credit cards and hides the bank account from me. <laughs> uh, because her, her initial reaction is, here we go, Paul's going to invest in something crazy. Here we go again. And God bless her. I married 30 years and she's all been right. with me for she's been with me for all the peaks and valleys and uh, and uh, God bless her for putting Bravo, up Maureen. Um, but really, um, but this time she did take a look and she said, wow, that's pretty cool. It really um, is cool. If you think if you think you could do something with it, go for it. So uh, we did. I did. And um, I invested in this company, which was a Chinese manufacturer. There's only a, literally a handful, five companies in the world I learned made this types of machine. And I went after the oldest one, the best one when I did my homework, which was about a year of due diligence to figure out what these machines really do and what companies could support them, what I envisioned for a business for this. And the basic vision was to put other people in business using these machines, delivering wall art in their communities to residences, restaurants, schools, hospitals, 
any place that would want art on their walls. And in their floors, too. You and can and print their on the floors. floors. That's, well, that's something that I developed with the company over the past 12 months. In addition to the wall printer, which we had, now we also have a floor printer, that's which great. will print horizontally like logos and, and foyers and, and uh, you know, team logos on basketball courts, uh, a, a dolphin on the bottom of a swimming pool, hmm. whatever you want on a horizontal surface, personalized parking spaces and garages. But there are four times as many walls as floors in most rooms and buildings. So there's more business opportunity for the wall printer. And basically what we do is we put people in business. They buy the machines from us. We provide all the training, all the support, all the parts. We manufacture our own inks and many of the components now today. Uh, we're the only company in the United States. Um, I own all rights to the territories of North and South America and Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean, uh, which are basically the entire Western hemisphere. Um, I service out of our Wilmington, North Carolina warehouse, showroom and factory. And uh, that's what we're doing. And it's working and happening. Today, in fact, we just closed Queens, New York. We're not a franchise, but we do sell exclusive territories for people so they can, because it's innovative and new, we want them to be the only ones that we support and will help grow in their local communities. Great. And so this week it was Queens. Last week we sold Toronto. Fantastic. And the website, it's thewallprinter.com. Thewallprinter.com. Thank you. Yes. Again, this wasn't an advertisement for the wall printer. If people liked anything they hear or they want to talk, LinkedIn is how I'm I'm available to connect with people. If they want to build a relationship or extend their network, I'm happy to always um, engage with people on LinkedIn. I'll have all of your social media links on my Simplecast page, which hosts my website, so they'll be able to find you. Jackie, I enjoyed this. Paul Barron, thank you so much for joining us on Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thanks, Jackie. Susie would have been proud. Oh my gosh, I'm sure she's very proud of you. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Should Have Listened to My Mother.